You're listening to the RBN Energy Blogcast. This is an audio version of RBN's Daily Energy Blog, which is a fun and informative daily commentary on oil, gas, NGL, and renewable markets. Each morning, we cover commodity fundamentals and industry changes to keep you informed of developing trends across the energy landscape. Wednesday, August 30th, 2023. Baby the Rins Must Fall, Part 3. Examining the Odds and Timing of a Potential Rins Price Crash. Published by George Hoekstra. U.S. production of hydrogenated renewable diesel, or RD, which is made from soybean oil, animal fats, and used cooking oil, is growing faster than expected. That may sound like good news for the renewable fuels industry, but it comes with the fear that the rapid growth might push RD production levels well past the mandate set by the Renewable Fuel Standard, or RFS, potentially triggering a sudden crash in renewable identification number, or REN prices that, if it happens, would rock the market. In today's RBN blog, we estimate the likelihood and possible timing of such a market-shaking event. As we discussed in part one of this series, hydrogenated RD is a type of biomass-based diesel being produced either in greenfield facilities or in repurposed refinery units previously used to make petroleum-based diesel and gasoline. RD has quickly overtaken the other type of biomass-based diesel, fame biodiesel, in market share. Fame biodiesel is produced by reacting triglycerides with methanol to make oxygen-containing fuel molecules called fatty acid methyl ester, or FAME. In fact, RD's rapid growth may soon bring U.S. biomass-based diesel supply beyond the mandated levels set by the Environmental Protection Agency, or EPA. That would be uncharted territory for the fuels market, which has been under the grip of binding renewable fuels volume mandates for 10 years. In Part 2 we analyze the implications of crossing that boundary. Theoretically, it could trip a switch that would cause a decrease in the price of D4, biomass-based diesel, RINs. Recall from our blog series called Misunderstanding that a RIN is a 38-digit number that's generated when certain types of renewable fuels are produced. The RIN can then be unbundled and sold to producers or importers of non-renewable fuels to satisfy obligations under the RFS. If the supply of renewable fuel increases beyond the RFS mandates, prices for RINs would drop. In other words, Demand for a RIN depends on there being a shortage of biofuel supply compared to the applicable mandate. That shortage is what compels refiners to bid for that RIN, and refiners' RIN purchases are what fund the subsidy. This tax and subsidized scheme is called a cross-subsidy. If the aggregate supply exceeds all the necessary biofuel prescribed by the mandate, there would be no shortage and no economic demand for the RIN, and the RIN price would fall. The RIN currently provides a subsidy of $2.25 to $3.40 per gallon of biobased diesel. If that subsidy were to wane, it could pressure the profitability of a whole block of suppliers. It's worth noting that if biofuels could be produced at the same or lesser cost than petroleum fuels, the RIN cost would also move toward zero or disappear. Of course, in that case there would likely be no need for a mandate, either. As we've said many times in the past, a RIN is both a tax and a subsidy, and the RIN price indicates the size of subsidy needed to force renewable fuels into finished fuels. It also indicates the size of the tax needed to fund that subsidy, which is borne by petroleum fuel suppliers. In theory, the D4 RIN price for biobased diesel should be higher than the D5 RIN for other advanced biofuels and the D6 RIN for conventional renewable fuels. That's because, by rule, a D4 RIN can satisfy the tax obligation for any of the three categories. This ordering of prices has generally held true, with occasional exceptions. Figure 1 in today's blog on the website shows the huge, 100-fold increase in the D6 RIN price, from 1 cent per gallon to $1 per gal, in early 2013. 
that occurred when the implied conventional renewable mandate increased to a level above the maximum ethanol content of E10 gasoline, which contains 10% ethanol, known as the blend wall. Tank cars of ink and billions of dollars have been consumed on petitions, rulings, court decisions, PhD dissertations, earnings conference call transcripts, and other writings, like parts 1 and 2 of this series and our Big Bang Theory series, about that event, which is sometimes referred to as the Big Bang. The fact that we have already experienced a 100-fold spike in the D6 price supports the idea that major price changes are possible in today's market too. Another example, overshadowed at the time by the Big Bang, was the late 2012 collapse of what had been a roughly 50 cents per gallon gap between the prices of D4 and D5 RINs. What was that about? A D5 RIN is earned when any gallon of other advanced biofuel, such as sugarcane ethanol, is blended into finished fuel. From 2010 to 2012, sugarcane ethanol was being imported and blended into the U.S. gasoline pool. Its role was to earn D5 RINs to fill out the mandated volume of advanced biofuels. Though homegrown corn ethanol is a cheaper alternative for use in gasoline, the advanced biofuel status of sugarcane ethanol justified its higher delivered price of 50 to 75 cents per gallon used to meet the advanced biofuel mandate. To qualify as an advanced biofuel, it must reduce greenhouse gas, or GHG, emissions by at least 50% compared to a 2005 petroleum baseline utilizing a fuel pathway under the RFS program. Also note that the pathways used for the RFS typically estimate larger GHG reductions than those used under California's Low Carbon Fuel Standard, or LCFS, program. How does sugarcane ethanol's role in the E10 gasoline picture explain the collapse of the 50-cent gap between the prices of the D4 and D5 RINs, which seemingly don't pertain to gasoline? The short answer is that the peculiar features of the RFS suddenly demanded more volume of a biofuel that was both an advanced biofuel and not ethanol and biobased diesel was the cheapest available biofuel meeting both criteria. So, by the workings of supply and demand, biobased diesel squeezed sugarcane ethanol out of the lineup and took over as the incremental biofuel for all three categories. Meanwhile, corn ethanol took over as the cheapest alternative for all ethanol used in gasoline, backfilling for the rejected sugarcane ethanol, and the price of all three RIN categories converged to the D4 RIN. That's the short answer. A valuable exercise for RIN enthusiasts is to fill in the details on that transition. The changes in price of the D6 RIN, from 1 cent per gallon to $1 per gal, and in the D4-D5 RIN differential, from 50 cents per gallon to zero, were large and abrupt, caused by the crossing of boundaries peculiar to the RFS framework. By examining how the fuel market operates within the constraints of the RFS framework, one can see how the fuel market reacts in a controlled way, but with strange consequences that make prices appear to be out of control when the market runs up against an RFS boundary. But as wild as those shifts were, they were anticipated and accurately predicted by those familiar with the applicable economic theory and the peculiar details of the RFS. Considering what we know about RIN's history and why prices moved the way they did, we can assess the likelihood of an end wall, a collapse in the price of RINs when RD production reaches a certain higher level. And if the biobased diesel supply volume indeed grows to exceed the applicable mandate, the likelihood is high. Hitting the end wall would have the opposite effect of hitting the blend wall, in the sense that the blend wall was due to a shift from a market in which RFS mandates were easily satisfied and RINs were cheap, to one where the mandates required changes to the fuel market and so RIN prices rose. Hitting the end wall would entail a shift back to a regime of RIN abundance, albeit one with a blending mandate still in place, and would be accompanied, in theory, by a move lower for the applicable RINs. And just as the RFS mandates have resulted in more renewable fuels being drawn in, if and when those mandates are exceeded, 
and RIN prices shift lower, it disincentivize renewable fuel production which, as we've noted, is higher cost than fossil fuel-based production. And it may just be a matter of time. The current growth rate of RD indicates the supply of bio-based diesel will exceed the mandated volume within the next three years. Beyond that threshold, the prices for D4, D5 and D6 RINs could drop precipitously. No, they will not go to zero, but it's possible that we could see RIN prices fall quickly. Estimates vary as to when the end wall might be breached. That boundary sits at 4.5 billion gallon per year of bio-based diesel, plus or minus 0.5 billion gallon per year. The EPA project's bio-based diesel supply won't reach that level before 2026, although two other well-informed projections suggest a breach in 2024. Second quarter earnings calls indicate bullish attitudes toward RD investments and production expansion with no indication of concern about an end wall mess, which favors a faster, rather than slower, rate of RD production growth. Our assessment is that an end wall breach is possible in the next three years. The RFS framework and RIN economics seem complex, but they are in fact nowhere near as complicated as a typical refinery process unit or a refinery itself. As in running a refinery, it is risky to rely on intuition and fast reaction time as the means for making decisions. One of the risks is being blindsided by a sudden crisis brought about by an unexpected event. The surprise factor can be avoided with some forward planning based on fundamental understanding and good data. With those in hand, it is not difficult for someone to use their own insights and judgments to make a well-informed assessment of the likely timing of the end wall, the possible consequences and preventive steps for them. Such forward planning is a prudent practice for anyone whose financial performance depends on RIN prices. Baby the Rain Must Fall was written by Elmer Bernstein and Ernie Sheldon and appears as the first song on side one of Glenn Yarbrough's eighth studio album of the same name. It is the title song of the 1965 film Baby the Rain Must Fall, starring Steve McQueen and Lee Remick. The film also marked the first film appearance of Glenn Campbell. Could it be Campbell playing guitar on the song? The single was released in January 1965 and went to number 2 on the Billboard Adult Contemporary and number 12 on the Billboard Hot 100 Singles Charts. The song was recorded at RCA's Music Center of the World in Hollywood, with Neely Plum producing. Known personnel on the record were, Glenn Yarbrough vocals, Earl Palmer, drums, and David Gates, arrangements. Gates would later become the lead singer in the highly successful pop band Bread. Leon Russell may be somewhere in the mix on this song as he had worked with Yarbrough as an arranger in the past, and Gates was a fellow Tulson who Russell had a publishing partnership with shortly before the record was released. The album Baby the Rain Must Fall was released in January 1965 and went to number 35 on the Billboard 200 Albums chart. Two singles were released from the LP. Glenn Yarbrough was an American folk singer and guitar player. He had a successful stint as the lead singer in the folk group The Lime Lighters from 1959-63 before embarking on a solo career. As a solo artist, he released 32 studio albums and 16 singles. He was nominated for Grammy Awards six times. Baby the Rain Must Fall was Yarbrough's best-selling record. He died in Nashville in August 2016 at the age of 86. Thanks for listening to the RBN Daily Energy Blogcast. For more information on energy market reports, maps, and consulting engagements, please visit us at rbnenergy.com. And thanks for rocking with us.